0: What do I have If I don't have you, Jesus What in this life Could mean anymore You are my rock You are my glory You are the lifter of my head Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Ross. It's a huge privilege to get to come up here and share God's word and man it's so so awesome just getting to worship with the church that God's used to transform my life in such such an incredible way Um, just like Pastor Ross said came here said told Pastor Adam over in his office that I feel like I don't need God and then somehow he's got me up here five years five years later and so I feel like I work with the coolest people in the world so thank you so much Pastor Ross and uh, Pastor Adam and Carlin and Uh, Dave and Jonathan, you guys have been just such a huge impact in my life. And um, so many other people uh, in the congregation have had an impact on me too. But if I were to name everybody, I'd never get to the sermon that I prepared to preach. So (laughs) let's get to that. So today we're gonna be in Philippians chapter two. Um, But before you turn there, would you please join me in prayer? Well, Heavenly Father, Lord, we'll all hear Um, for the same purpose, Lord, just to worship you, um, to hear from your word, to draw closer to you. Um, God, we just acknowledge that you are absolutely able, just like the songs that we sang, um, that you are the creator of everything. And Lord, you have all the wisdom and we don't. And so we wanna come and hear what you have to say. And so um, please just give us tender hearts to hear your word, to be transformed and changed and to ultimately um, care about your glory instead of our own. And so... Uh, Please just draw us close to you today, Lord. So in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter two. Well, when I was in junior high, my oldest sister, Allison, ended up getting uh, an autoimmune disease called rheumatoid arthritis. And as most of you know, an autoimmune disease is where your immune system attacks your own body And so as a result, she had to spend some time in the hospital um, trying to figure out exactly what was wrong. And she lost energy and she had to quit cross country um, that year because she just couldn't function as well as she could before. And the reason that I mention that is because we as Christians are called the body of Christ, that we're one spiritual family. And that just like with our human bodies, our sin nature can cause us to fight against each other just like an autoimmune disease. And that's exactly what was going on here at the church in Philippi that this letter was written to, is that there was some division, there were some arguments, and some pride just flaring up, rearing its ugly head. And so uh, Paul is gonna solve the problem of division, starting here in verse three, with a call to humility that's gonna be just the cure for this disease. And so starting in verse three, we're gonna go to verse 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible, talking about the life and sacrifice of Jesus. And it's not only beautiful, but it's going to be incredibly practical in showing us how to be humble just like he was. And so as I mentioned, Paul's going to be calling us to a place of greater humility and calling the church to a place of greater humility, and he's going to do it through giving us three points for us to consider. And so the first point is going to be exhortation. And so Paul is going to be commanding us to be humble in verses three through four. His second point is gonna be example as he shows us the example of Jesus and his humility in verses five through eight. And finally, the third point is gonna be exaltation where we see the reward of the humble life that Jesus led in verses nine through 11. And so that brings us to our first point, exhortation in verses three and four, which is up on the screen behind me here. And so he's gonna be giving us a few different commands in order to fix the problem there at the church in Philippi, And so the problem was that there were these two women named Yodia and Syntyche. They were having a, a disagreement that was causing division, um, some divisiveness, and they couldn't let their pride go and it was making an unhealthy environment. And so much so that Paul was passionately pleading with them, saying, I plead with these ladies to just agree in the Lord, to get over whatever they were arguing about, to get over the difference and to get over their pride. And so in order to cure that division and that disagreement, Paul's going to show uh, the church in Philippi and us uh, two negative things and then two positive things that we're going to take a look at to give us those healthy relationships with each other. And so the first of the two negative things is he says to do nothing out of selfish ambition. And when he says do nothing, he's simply saying that we're left without excuse, that there's no possible circumstance to let our pride show and our self-centeredness um, come about, and so selfish ambition is just really seeking to advance ourselves for our own gain. And some people have kind of compared it to uh, to a mercenary, and they're a soldier who works not for their family, not for their country, but working for the biggest paycheck. They're looking for the greatest benefit, no matter what the cost is. And even though we don't really hear about mercenaries anymore, there's still that mercenary attitude. Um, that all of us have inside of us. It says, what's in it for me? How am I going to benefit the most? You know, overlooking how it affects other people. Saying that I have to be right and never wrong, even in the small, daily, and insignificant things. And so, maybe some of you have heard the story about the, the two guys that go out to a dinner, and they both order steaks, and the waiter comes and brings the steaks to him, and the one friend hands a smaller steak to his friend and takes the big steak for himself, and the friend with the smaller steak says, what, what's up with that? Why would you assume that I wanted the small steak? And he says, what's a big deal? What would you have done? And he said, well, I'd like to think that I would have given you the big steak and I would have taken the small steak. He says, well, that's perfect. You got just what you wanted. <laughs> but that's the attitude inside of us. Is that we're always seeking the greatest benefit for ourselves, even in small situations like that. And it's a struggle because it's part of our sin nature and it's hard. But we find that that the paradox of this selfish ambition and self-seeking is that it's an attitude obsessed with gaining for itself, but in the end it only becomes emptier than ever. And I found that the times in my life when I'm the most focused on me are the times when I don't have joy, when I don't have that contentment and satisfaction in God. And it's just ironic because it's at those times when I'm seeking the most for me that I lose the most in the end. And so we find that the selfish ambition ends up coming from an attitude of vain conceit. And that's the second negative thing that Paul mentions for us to do away with. And so this conceit is just a, a preoccupation with ourselves that leads us to worship the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Um, The constant desire to always look good in the eyes of other people, um, going to great lengths. I know I've done that before, just to appear that I'm successful. Maybe you've heard about the clever car salesman who closed hundreds of deals with this line. Let me show you a car your neighbors said you couldn't afford. (laughs) (laughs) And we know what our response would be, right? We'd at least think it or try to see if we could afford that car, to try and prove those people wrong and keep in their minds that we're just as rich as we want them to believe. So pride simply says, how do I make me look good? But in reality, humility comes when we understand just who we are apart from God's grace. And that's such a great reminder because um, I was thinking about this as we were singing in worship as we're saying, it's your breath in our lungs. Like we even get that from him. We wouldn't exist apart from him. None of us would have gotten up in the morning apart from just the common grace of life. Um, we wouldn't, wouldn't have salvation from our sins. I heard one, uh, one preacher say that when he's training up younger pastors, he tells them, you have to have the power of God on your life to preach. And then he said that, now he says, Um, that you have to have the power of God on your life to tie your shoes, (laughs) which is really true. You know, we don't have life, we don't have anything good apart from him. And once we realize that, that's when an attitude of humility is going to come. And so when we do have that conceit, what does it come to? What's it gonna produce in our lives? Well, there Paul adds the word vain, vain conceit. And vain just really means emptiness. It's not gonna come to anything. I went on a mountain bike ride with Adam last Saturday, uh, 17 miles, and I tried to keep up with him in vain because I'm so (laughs) out of shape. So it it comes to nothing. It's no use. But we also find out that in James 3.16, that not only does it produce vanity and nothing, but it says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find every evil or there you find disorder and every evil practice. And so the self-focus is really a gateway to every evil desire, and that's just going to bring a world of trouble that we don't want to deal with. And so these are the, the two really intolerable things that Paula showed us, saying, "Have nothing to do with these in order to have the healthy relationships with each other." And now he's going to show us the two indispensable things that we absolutely need for those healthy relationships, both with God and with others. And so the first of the two positive things is to, in humility, consider others better than ourselves. And if we think about it, this considering others better than ourselves, it's really the opposite of conceit. It's really the opposite of pride. Because if I'm full of myself, it leaves no room for loving others. But if I consider others better than myself, it leaves no room for my selfishness. And so in in the society at that day, um, there was a hierarchy of different social classes where people have different positions um, with different privileges assigned to them. And while America is kind of different in that we don't really have a hierarchy of social classes, if we're honest, we tend to still create them ourselves out of insecurities, um, wanting to prop myself up however I can by nitpicking and finding the small things in other people to make myself feel better. And so we create this hierarchy and sadly treat people accordingly. And so by saying to um, treat others as better than yourselves, Paul's just breaking all that down, throwing it all out the window, saying just let's do without these classes of superficial stuff and social nonsense. And so we're to instead simply take whoever's right in front of us, whoever they may be, and simply consider them better than ourselves. The Bible commentator David Guzik, he said, if I consider you above me and you consider me above you, then a marvelous thing happens. We have a community where everyone is looked up to and no one's looked down on. And so this command to consider others better than ourselves is going to practically work itself out in life in the second positive thing, of looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. There in verse four. We should simply be concerned with each other's needs. And it's actually kind of interesting that that Paul's commanding this church to look out for the needs of others because they were doing a phenomenal job doing that for him. Actually, part of the reason he wrote the letter to the Philippians was to thank them for the gifts that they had given him. Um, As he tells us that, when he left that area that no other church supported them and yet they did time and again and so they were doing an awesome job of supporting them, of supporting him. But it's apparent from the fact that he's telling them look, meet the needs of others, that although they were meeting his needs they must not have been meeting the needs of the people right next to them. And sometimes it's easiest to love the people who are far away, sometimes it's easiest to love people who seem like you know, superheroes in the faith. But it's so much harder to practically love each other, the people we live with, people we see every day whose rough edges rub up against ours um, and create conflict, whose bad attitudes we see, um, whose imperfections are really put on display right there for us. It's so much harder to love those people. And yet when we can love those people close to us, that's when true love is really going to prove true. And so practically, it just starts with you and me. Um, right now, you know, we should approach life just like first responders, asking where is the need? What needs are there around me? How can I help? You know, It might be something just like showing hospitality by opening your home to a new family. Um, might be finding a lonely face out there in the lobby and just introducing yourself might be joining Daniel, children's ministry, you know, helping teach those classes and hang out with the kids, but I can't do any of those things if I'm only thinking about myself. And so by having nothing to do with selfishness and instead having everything to do with looking to the needs of other people, the church will become and stay healthy and thriving and a shining gospel light to the world. And so really the key to us changing the world is to us starting here by loving each other. Well, as the saying goes, a, a picture is worth a thousand words. And Paul has just commanded us to be humble. And now he's going to paint the picture for us of exactly what that looks like with the example of Jesus. And so we come to our second point, the example, here in verses five through eight. And so right off the bat there in verse five, we're told to have the same attitude as Jesus, the word of walked just like he walked, to serve just like he served, and to even think about people just the same way that he thought about people. In 1 John chapter 2, um, verses 5 and 6, it says, this is how we know that we are in him. This is the marker of, of a Christian. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So in other words, we're not only to bear the name of Christian, but we're also to live just like Christ did. And he goes on there to tell us that he was in the very nature God, and yet he didn't consider that equality with God something to be grasped. And so we learn that Jesus, he wasn't a mere man. Um, he wasn't just one prophet amongst many. But as Colossians 2.9 says, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. So in each and every way, he was absolutely God. But while being completely God, he didn't consider that something to be used for his own advantage. And the fact that he is God didn't stop him from living in others-centered life and how much more should we? And so not only did Jesus stoop down to our level, still being fully God and becoming a man, but he stooped even lower, becoming the servant of all. If you're here uh, for Pastor Gillette's sermon last week in John chapter 13, he was talking about how Jesus came and he washed the feet of his disciples. And that was doing the work of a lowly, lowly servant when none of the other disciples uh, would engage in it. None of them would do it and yet him being God decided to take the lowliest position. And we find that only a short time later that Jesus would show us the ultimate example of his servanthood as he gave up the most precious thing he had, his very own life on the cross. And so this is the most horrible death physically as he was dying of thirst, uh, nails piercing his hands and feet. He'd already been flogged and many men died at that point, but he endured the cross and not only was it terrible physically, but it was absolutely shameful. He was there stripped and they were yelling insults at him, saying he saved others, why can't he save himself? And so God the Son came from the most absolutely glorious position and humbled himself to the very lowest he could go. And of course the the question is why? If he had all of that, there's so many people that want to be God, that want to have that kind of glory and power, but if He had it. He is God, the ruler of everything. Why would he humble himself that much? Well, I want to point you back to verse four. It says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so Jesus being our example, he humbled himself and became that sacrifice for us because he saw that need that we had. He was looking to our interest that we absolutely need a relationship with God. And yesterday, I actually had the opportunity to share the gospel with this one guy and the conversation began. Uh, He saw a Calvary Chapel uh, winter retreat shirt I was wearing. And he said, man, it's hard work getting to God. I said, it's impossible. And that's the need that we have, is that it is impossible for us on our own to bring ourselves to God. And the reason is the same thing that I told him when he asked me, what do you mean? How is it impossible? Is because we have broken all of God's laws. We've made ourselves his enemies, put ourselves at enemy to him. And the fact is that all of our sins, this whole record and case that we have before God There's nothing that we can do to reconcile it, no amount of goods. I told him, no matter how much you read your Bible, no matter how much you buy another person a cup of coffee, no matter how much you go to church, it's not gonna be enough for you to get yourself to him. And so we're left, if we only have ourselves, we are absolutely hopeless. But the thing is that since there was a price to be paid for our guilt, for all of our sins, that Jesus came down and he paid it in our place, that God's justice had to be done. And so Jesus, in coming to the cross, he paid the price that we should have paid. He took God's wrath for us so that we could go free. And all we have to do is to put our faith in him. Say, God, I, I am a sinner and that I need what you've done for me. I can't do it on my own. And so that's why he came is that he saw that absolute need that we had and he used his position instead of for his advantage to then meet our need of a savior and this is just the exclamation point to Paul's whole call to be humble showing us that God himself saw the need of little Dylan that he created on this earth who's rebelled against him and wanted to save him And so we are to humble humble ourselves as we follow Jesus. Warren Wiersbe, he tells the story of a a missionary who was at a religious festival in Brazil. And there were these different booths there that he was walking around to, checking out the different uh, wares and items there. And he came to one of the booths, and above it, it said, cheap crosses. (laughs) And the missionary said to himself, that's what many Christians are looking for these days, cheap crosses, my Lord's cross was not cheap, why should mine be? And so just as Jesus was obedient even unto death on a cross, we're told by Jesus himself in Matthew 16, that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And so Jesus calls us to the sacrifice of just putting our pride to death, putting our own self-seeking to death. And a, an inspiring example of dying to our own self, our own desires to prove ourselves and show people just how powerful we are. An inspiring example of this is in the famous missionary, Elizabeth Elliot. Who I'm sure many of you have heard about. And so she was a missionary with her husband, Jim Elliott, in, uh, in Ecuador. And as the story goes, her her husband, Jim, went along with four other missionaries to a tribe to go um, and minister there and share the gospel there. And the tribe ended up killing him and along with the four other missionaries. However, his widowed wife, Elizabeth, would go on to live with and serve in that very same tribe for two years. And I just tried to kind of put myself in her shoes and imagine all of the unforgiveness and all of the bitterness and anger and revenge that she had to put to death in order to go and do that. And while very few of us will ever be placed in such an extreme situation where we have to forgive somebody who's killed a family member, Paul's asking us to simply get rid of our bitterness because somebody has gossiped about us to not controllingly insist on our own solution in every single situation, uh, to be able to cut someone slack when they make that mistake, to go the extra mile by doing all the dishes for your wife or for your mom, and by you know even giving a friend a ride to the airport when you're exhausted. And while these are hard and painful things in the moment, they're nothing compared to the sacrifice of Jesus and what he endured on the cross. And so while picking up our crosses, it's hard, it's not impossible. For if we have the power of the Holy Spirit and if we look to the example of Jesus and his love, we'll be able to do the difficult thing of just letting our pride die, of letting it go and letting that selfishness finally lay there in the grave. And as Proverbs 14.23 says, all hard work brings a profit. And so while this dying to ourselves is hard and difficult, it is, it doesn't end there. That there will be a prophet and that though Jesus endured unspeakable pain, that there's a glorious reward at the end of the story that we can't forget about if we're to be effective Christians in this life. And so this brings us to our third and final point, the exaltation of Jesus, as we see the reward for his humility here in verses 9 through 11. And so as we come to these verses, something to be aware of and take note of is that sometimes the devil, he wants to blind us with all of the pain, with all the sacrifice, with how hard it's going to be to see that person and forgive them, um, how much it'll hurt to to serve in that way, to give up our time to help somebody else. He wants us to see the sacrifice, but he doesn't want us to see the resurrection. He wants us to become exhausted and hopeless, but he doesn't want us to see the spiritual law that when you're humbled and brought low, that God will lift you up just like he did with Jesus. And that every time we die to ourselves, there will be that resurrection Every time we give up our pride and serve God, he will lift us up and reward us with that blessing. And so that's exactly what we see in Jesus' life, where God exalts him in two ways because of his sacrifice. And the first is that he exalted Jesus to the highest place. This is an answer to John 17 when Jesus prayed, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And so God the Father is answering God the Son's request by lifting him to the place that he had before, being seated at the right hand of the Father and having all authority and all power over all rule, all authority, all power, and all dominion as Ephesians 1 says, and that everything is under his feet and everything absolutely means everything. And so God the Father beautifully took God the Son from crucified to exalted, from wearing a crown of thorns to now being crowned with glory and honor. And so he was given an exalted position, but also an exalted name. It tells us that he was given a name that's above every name, that has more authority and more power than any other title. And the result of this is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In all of creation, it says, um, all those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so that means whether angels or demons, humans alive or dead, saved or condemned, all will submit to Jesus as Lord and that he's exalted to such a position that his rule extends to every corner of creation. But just as these verses say that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, the only question is, will someone willingly bow before him in faith, receiving Jesus as their savior of the sins and the one who meets our desperate need, or will that person bow before Jesus Having been submitted as his enemy. And I don't know about you, but the infinitely better part is to bend the knee to him as our Savior, to receive the forgiveness of our sins, the sacrifice of him for us, and to now see him exalted in heaven and say, That's my Savior, that's my champion, the one who's fighting for me. Maybe there's someone. Just like that guy I got to share the gospel with yesterday who's still on the fence, um, standing before God instead of kneeling, or putting off acknowledging Jesus as Savior and Lord and turning to him for the forgiveness that we desperately need and I can tell you this that every person in this room, every Christian is pleading with you to know that Jesus is mercifully holding out that opportunity for you to get saved. That I've been praying for you to realize that Jesus can save you from your sins instead of us being submitted as his enemy. And that all you have to do is to receive him by faith, to repent of your sins, and that's the best deal in the world. That's the greatest gift we could ever receive. That no matter what happens today, if I knock the pulpit over, You know, if, uh, um, you know, whatever happens that Jesus is Lord and that my sins are forgiven by him and I'll be with him forever, just as it says in 1 Thessalonians. But that opportunity is only held out to us as long as our heart's still beating. Just like we learned, apart from God's grace, we're nothing. And so that's not something we're owed. That's not something that we can count on. And so that opportunity is only mercifully held out to you as long as there's breath in your lungs. And so now is the time to bend the knee, not down the road, for you don't know how far down the road we're gonna get. But for those of us who have already bowed the knee in that joyful faith, receiving Jesus as our savior, the sacrifice for our sins, the reason that we worship him and sing these songs, we have such a phenomenal hope for our humility, for the time when we're just doing the humble work of serving him and serving others. Jesus tells us in Matthew 23 verse 12 that whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so here there's really both a warning and an encouragement for us when it comes to living out the humility that Paul's been trying to urge us towards. And the warning is that if I'm self-seeking and self-promoting and always wanting my way, that I'll inevitably be humbled. That's another spiritual law too. D.L. Moody, Bible commentator, he said, be humble or you'll stumble. (laughs) And uh, that's really true. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I would much rather receive his grace then be humbled by him. And so I don't want to give him a reason to humble me, to cut me down to size, to show me that I'm not really as big and powerful as I prop myself up and convince myself that I am. But really, it's a good thing when he does humble us because when I'm prideful and you know convinced of how awesome I am, then it's hard for me to see God. It's hard for me to draw close to him and in that way, we're really depriving ourselves of the greatest thing in all of existence. So even as we are in pride, it's even an act of God's grace to show us, hey, it's not about you, it's all about me. Amen. And in that way, we're going to really find the purpose for our lives. And so after the warning is an encouragement for us, is that while we're living out this whole passage in Philippians 2, seeing the exhortation, the example, and then finally the exaltation, is that as we selflessly serve, just like Jesus did, in humility, as we give up our time to make other people feel important, overlook those insults, um, encouraging and building up instead of tearing down other people, and as we're doing this hard work of dying to ourselves every day, in the big and small ways don't, forget the end of the story. For after Jesus' death came exaltation, and that's not a maybe, but it did happen. And as 2 Timothy 2.11 says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. And that Jesus' life was carried out in serving, but it produced exaltation being lifted up, and the same is true with us. And so in the words of Paul, let us not become weary in doing good. For in the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we do not give up, just like Elizabeth Elliot, who died to herself and the harvest that she received was winning that tribe to Christ that had killed her husband and the other missionaries. And so lives were forever changed because she was willing to pick up her cross and follow Jesus. And I think that we'll find the same thing. And so while we set aside our own egos to wash the feet of other people, and while that isn't easy, while we forgive an offense, clean the bathroom, overlook the insult, let another person have their own way, even though these are hard and painful in the moment, just know this, that God sees each and every foot you've washed every person you've forgiven, each compliment you've given, every couch you've moved, every diaper you've changed, and every trash you have emptied. And that while other people might not notice these things, we're eagerly awaiting the day that God will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, for... First of all, your humility, your service for us, God, as you died on the cross, Lord, you brought yourself to the very, very lowest position. And so, Lord, we want to look to that as our example. We want to follow you, and we want to be spurred on and encouraged by the fact that there will be exaltation, that there will be lifting up at the end. And so, Lord, help us to not lose hope, but to continue to press on to seek you and to serve you, Lord. So we just want to humble ourselves and know who we are apart from your grace, Lord, Um, and be thankful for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.